Okay, if you have your Bibles, and you can find it, turn to the book of Daniel, Ezekiel. You'll see Ezekiel first. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then comes Daniel, the book of Daniel. I don't know what possessed me to want to go into the book of Daniel. After a couple of days of study, I was thinking, man, what have I done to myself here? Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating book for us to study, and, and uh, I think it's one of the most important uh, books in the Bible, one of the most interesting books in the Bible. And, and uh, because of that, because it's such an important book, over the years, Daniel has been, the book of Daniel has been under attack. Uh, probably as much as the book of Isaiah, uh, the book of Genesis, the, the synoptic gospels, uh, the liberals have attacked it. They, people who call themselves Christian, I mean, a good portion of the church has, over the centuries, has attacked the book of Daniel. And, 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 and all you got to do is study the book a while, a while, and you'll understand why it was under attack and why it's been under attack and why it's under attack now. Because Daniel is such a wonderful book. Uh, first of all, it's autobiographical. Uh, Daniel tells the story of his life or, or gives us some highlights of his life. His life where? Not in Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know anything about what happened to him before he was taken captive. But we're told a lot about his life once he is a captive. And we learn some great lessons from that. Because I think sometimes we have it pretty easy here in America, don't we? And Daniel went through a very difficult time, but he made the best of that time. And so we learn a lot about walking with God, even in trying times when we study uh, Daniel. We learn a lot about what the Jews faced in the Babylonian captivity and, and how Daniel faced these circumstances. Well, we know that Daniel was a man with a vision. I mean, he had a lot of visions. He had a vision of, of the Word of God. He had a vision of, of God himself. He had a vision of Jesus Christ. He certainly was a man with a vision. And, and that's why I believe he walked so closely with the Lord. Uh, secondly, one, another reason this is such a great uh, book to study is for the historical value of this book. You can get a lot of history uh, in the book of Daniel. We'll start off tonight and we'll, we'll get some history about uh, the, how, the Bab how the Babylonian captivity began, how, how Israel was attacked and and uh, defeated, and, and uh, Daniel was taken captive. We're going to get a little bit of that information when we get started tonight. Uh, but one of the things that you get that you won't get anywhere in secular uh, uh, writings is because of where Daniel was placed in his life. Where was he placed? After he interprets that dream, he's placed as like the third highest man in the in the Babylonian Empire. And so because of that, he has a close relationship with men like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Darius the Mede. And there's so much we learn about these people that you, you would never learn in, in secular literature. So, so we get a lot of historical stuff uh, from the book of Daniel. And, and that's one of the reasons, again, uh, it's been under attack. In fact, you know, over the centuries. In fact, that was the first attack leveled 
at the book of Daniel was uh, it was attacked because of its historicity uh, or its lack of historicity. Uh, they, it, it, the scholars used to say there's no uh, historical evidence for some of the main characters. I mean, there was plenty of historical evidence for Nebuchadnezzar, but, but this man Belshazzar, he doesn't appear anywhere in the historical, or for a long time, he didn't appear anywhere in the historical records. In fact, if you looked at the historical evidence from that time, uh, there was another man who was named Nabodinus who was in charge uh, or in command or the leader of Babylon. He was the one that, that most historians, and they had information on this, had replaced Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, also, you got this character uh, who's the head of the eunuchs. Uh, this guy we'll look at uh, next week. Uh, uh, no, there's Asphanes. So some of these names are really hard to pronounce. Uh, there was you know, supposedly no evidence for him. Uh, and then Darius the Mede, there was no historical evidence for Darius the Mede. But 20, 20th century archaeology has proven all of that, all of those critics wrong, and it has proven the Bible right. You know, every time they dig something up over in that area, not every time, but every time they dig it up, they don't find anything that refutes the Bible. If they find anything that's biblical, it backs up the historicity of the Bible. And that's the case with the book of Daniel, too. I mean, they actually discovered uh, this monument that had a list of some of the officers in the Babylonian kingdom. And let me just read you. This is in a Berlin museum now. You, you could go to that museum and... and, and and look at it yourself. But if you look down uh, in verse number three of chapter number one, it says the king instructed Aphanaz, the master of the eunuchs. And again, you know, he wasn't that important of a guy, but, but people would say there was no history about this man. But listen to what this, this monument says. It specifically says Aphanaz, the master of the eunuchs in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, here's this guy who's really not that a main player, and yet, and yet he's named in the book of Daniel as one of the as the head of the eunuchs, and of course he was in charge of Daniel at least for a while, and and this this uh, monument actually names him. Something else that they found uh, again for years they said that Nabodanus reigned after Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar didn't exist. Well, they found another monument. And it said that, Nab that Nabodanus and Belshazzar ruled together. And then they found another monument and they found Darius the Mede had been appointed by Cyrus of Persia to, ru to rule Babylon. So here are all these main historical characters and now they have archaeological evidence that they uh, actually did exist and exactly uh, as, as Daniel had said. Now... So Daniel's an autobiography, and we can learn a lot from that. It's a historical book, and we can learn a lot from that. But most importantly, what is Daniel? What is Daniel? It's a book of prophecy. It's a book of prophecy. Jesus himself referred to Daniel as a prophet and a seer. So, you know, when the man speaks... Uh, who, speak, who is truth incarnate, and this is his word, when he says Daniel was a prophet, he was a prophet. Uh, and I believe Daniel 
is one of the most important prophecies to study because it's the key to many of the other prophecies in the Bible. You can't understand Revelation without understanding Daniel. Uh, you can't understand the Olivet Discourse without understanding Daniel. Not necessarily understanding it, but at least studying Daniel. I don't know if everybody understands it perfectly. Hopefully you will when you finish this, this, uh, this uh, study on Daniel. You won't understand it perfectly. I'm joking. And because we're going to get into some prophecies that are pretty, pretty uh, some are just so specific and, and, and they've been fulfilled in history right down to the, to the exact word that Daniel prophesied. But then there's others about the future that, that are hard because they haven't happened yet. It's difficult to determine exactly what Daniel's prophesying. But we'll take some shots at that later on. But uh, you won't understand Revelation or the Olivet Discourse. And we were talking about going into 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And that's the reason I went to Daniel first. Because really to understand the prophecies in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you really need to study the book of Daniel. Now, his prophecies in this, in this book are so precise and so specific that it's caused many scholars over the centuries to doubt the author and doubt the date of the book. I mean, really... You could almost say the general consensus among many scholars, and a lot of scholars are liberal, is that Daniel did not write the book of Daniel. Now, why do they say that? Because Daniel predicted a lot of things that have taken place in history exactly as he predicted them to take place. And so if you don't believe in prophecy, then you've got to believe that somebody wrote the book after the fact. And that's the way a lot of you know, that's what a lot of scholars believe. They don't believe in the possibility of, of, uh, of someone predicting the future. And I don't believe in the possibility of a man predicting the future. But I do believe in the possibility of God predicting the future because God is omniscient and he knows all things. He knows everything about the future. And so he can predict the future and he predicts the future through the voice of his prophets. And he does that for a purpose. One of the purposes is so that we can put faith in the Word of God. I believe faith in the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And, and I believe faith is a gift. I believe faith is a gift by the Holy Spirit. The reason I believe, the, the biggest reason that I believe Daniel wrote Daniel and that Daniel is, is truth and it's historically accurate and that it's, it's all its prophecies are accurate is because of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit attests to these things. And so, if, so, you know, I don't believe you get saved by believing that Daniel wrote Daniel or believing in the virgin birth. But I'm like J. Vernon McGee says, you don't get saved by believing in the virgin birth. But if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you're not saved. Because it's the Holy Spirit who attests to the truth of the virgin birth. It's the Holy Spirit for me who attests to the truth of the book of Daniel. But, you know, most people don't, most scholars, uh, you know, most scholars, and that includes all the liberal scholars and all the conservative scholars, really don't take the view that Daniel wrote Daniel. A few weeks back when I was debating on whether or not to go into the book of Daniel, I pulled out some of the commentaries that I had on Daniel. I didn't have many, but I had one that somebody had given me years ago. And I began to read the introduction of the commentary and 
And uh, it, st- it started out really good. And, and I was thinking, well, this might be one I can use. But then he stated, he said he, that he agrees with the general consensus of scholars that the book was written sometime uh, after 165, after the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, after the abomination of desolation that De- Daniel prophesied. So what he was saying is that, you know, he didn't believe in prophecy, so somebody had to write this after 165 B.C. And so in order to accurately predict to the T exactly the way Daniel predicts this abomination of uh, desolation. So I threw that book in the garbage can. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, here's my problem with that. I mean, I'm certainly, I'm sure there's some good things in that book, and I'm sure he did. You know, he had a really nice work that he had done, and it supposedly was, was you know, well-received by uh, in seminaries and by modern scholarship. But here's my problem with it. If you don't believe that Daniel wrote the book, that some charlatan forged the book years later, then why study the book? I got better things to do, and you got better things to do than to study a book like that. And if Daniel's a forgery, here's where the problem comes. Is Matthew a forgery? You can't pick and choose what's the word of God. It's either all or nothing. If Genesis 1-1 is not the word of God, then you can't tell me that, that, that John 1-1 is the word of God. Because you have arbitrarily decided to pick and choose the things that you believe are true. Well, again, by the spirit of God, I believe that the whole word of God is true. So, so you know, if, if somebody doesn't believe that Daniel wrote Daniel, I'm not going to waste my time with their, their commentary. And, and uh, there are a lot of books that have been under attack over the years, and, and the authorship has been questioned. I mean, people question whether Peter wrote first Peter. Well, it says Peter wrote it. Or Paul wrote Colossians because, and here's the stupidity, how stupid this can get. Paul didn't write Colossians because it's too much like Ephesians, and Paul wrote Ephesians. Well, wait a minute. If I wrote another book, and I was spouting out my theology, it should be very similar to that book. You, you see how silly some of the logic for these things can get? And people say, yeah, people take these, especially these books of, of great prophecy, and they attack them, uh, and especially books where prophecy has been fulfilled. Isaiah, I call it the gospel of Isaiah. A lot of people call it the gospel of Isaiah. I didn't invent that term. But it is, it's amazing the predictions that were made by Isaiah that had, were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But scholars believe that somebody after Jesus died or maybe why Jesus was living. They actually have this theory, you might have heard of it, of Deutero and Tripto Isaiah. In other words, there was Isaiah who wrote it, then there was an Isaiah who wrote after the captivity, then there was a Isaiah who wrote after, the, uh, after Jesus Christ lived. And, they, and the reason they say that, again, is because they don't believe that, that anyone could predict the future. They don't, they don't believe in prophecy, and if you don't believe in the supernatural, then you're not going to believe in prophecy. And so you come up with these, these, these ideas that, that the book is a forgery. Well, they ran into a serious problem when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls because they found 19 copies of Isaiah 
predating 200 B.C. before Jesus had even lived. And all of the, there's fragments of all of those great texts text about Jesus Christ, the things that were predicted about Jesus Christ that came true, just as Isaiah said they would come true. Now, the knock on Daniel's not anything new. It's, it's, it's as old as, as, as the time since Daniel wrote the book. Back in 200 A.D., this guy who was, he was anti-Christian. I mean, all his works were anti-Christian. His name was Porphyry. And he said that Daniel was a fake prophecy written about 170 A.D., again, after the, the abomination of desolations that Daniel predicted. And, and, the, and so it was like 400 years after Daniel's death that this forgery appeared, according to Porphyry. But let me tell you about a guy a lot smarter than Porphyry. And he wasn't a Christian, but uh, he was a Jew, a guy named Josephus Flavius. Some of y'all have heard of him. Uh, he was a great Jewish historian. Uh, in his book of Antiquities, Volume 1, this famous book that we do have copies of, from the first century A.D., uh, in 388, he records a story, this really cool story, of how Alexander the Great was going through, just as Daniel predicted, he was running through the Middle East and conquering all of these cities. And when he came to Jerusalem, this high priest of, the high priest came out named Jadu to meet Alexander. And he gave him a full copy of the book of Daniel with all of these prophecies about Alexander, and he told him about Daniel's prophecies. And Alexander, and this is the account of Josephus, read the prophecy, and he was so impressed by what he read. I mean, here he had gone through, his, his was torch and burn, you know, conquer and burn, and just not leave anything behind so anybody could come back in his rear. He would just, he would just burn everything down. And so, uh, so instead of burning Jerusalem down, he went into the city of Jerusalem, left it standing, went into the temple, and worshiped God. Pretty amazing stuff. So, uh, obviously, they got a problem with that. Liberal scholars do. If Alexander believed Daniel was true, and, and he was living out part of Daniel's prophecies, then certainly we can believe Daniel's true. You know, I don't understand why they didn't just look at the Septuagint. The Septuagint is dated uh, around 285 B.C. That is the Greek uh, copy of the Old Testament. And in the Greek copy of the Old Testament that was written around 285 B.C., guess what? There's a full book of who? Daniel. And so we know that Daniel wrote these prophecies uh, in advance. I, I, but, I, you know, I'll go back to the most convincing argument that Daniel wrote Daniel, and that's the Lord himself. Because the Lord actually refers to this prophecy about Antiochus Epiphanes and the abomination of desolations, and he says that it was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And so we know that, you know, the Lord, certainly who knows all things, knows that Daniel wrote Daniel, and, and uh, we know that too. Now, you've got to ask the question, why have I spent so much time uh, 
defending the authorship and date of Daniel. Well, let me, let me, I've already sort of told you why, because if it's a forgery, why waste our time with this stuff? I mean, if Daniel really didn't prophesy these things, then, then hey, it's just, it's just a charlatan's way of trying to impress people, and, and I'm not impressed by that. But if Daniel did write these prophecies, it changes everything. Do you know that Daniel, we're going to see this in the book of Daniel, actually predicts the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He actually predicted the day. Now, if he predicted the day of the abomination of desolations, and he predicted the day that uh, Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he predicted what's going to happen in end times, then I got to believe he's right about the end times too. And so it gives all of those prophecies credibility. So we can look at the history of the ones that have already been fulfilled, and every one of them is fulfilled exactly as he, he, as he predicted. Then we can look at the ones that are still future, and we can know that they're going to be fulfilled exactly as he predicted. So I'm excited about going to the book of Daniel, at least for now. Because <laughs> when we get into those predictions that he made about the future, they're just as exact. But we're going we're gonna to have to play some, we're, well, not games, but we're going to have to dig deep to see if we can figure out. Uh, and hopefully the Spirit of God will show up as I'm studying and as you're listening and, and as you're studying. And uh, maybe he'll show us some things about the future. Maybe he'll tell us where we're at on this end time table. So I'm excited about what we're going to learn in the book of Daniel. So let's dig in. And again, I said this is a book of history, so, so let's just grab a couple of verses tonight. That's all we're going to do. Uh, hang in there with me, a couple of verses, and, and then I'll get you out of here. It says in verse number one, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Now, we, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Babylonian captivity. We're talking about the time when Nebuchadnezzar came down through Israel and he destroyed the country, and he came to Jerusalem, and he laid siege of it. Now, we know that during the first siege, that he got news that his father had died, and so he made, did some things we'll talk about here in a minute, and then he went back to Babylon, and so he spared Jerusalem that first time. But why did all this happen? I mean, for years, the Lord had been warning Israel that judgment was coming. I mean, you read the book of Jeremiah, you read the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, most of the prophets were warnings to Israel about the judgment that was coming. Because Israel had turned their back on God, they were steeped in idolatry, and the more they turned their back on God, the more violent and wicked they became. And, and I mean, the the nation was, was going down the tubes. 
exponentially. Well, can you relate to that? You see the dark clouds on the horizon? It was so bad that the prophet Habakkuk said, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you letting things go as they're going? All of this wickedness and all of this violence, and you're doing nothing, Lord? Answer me, Lord, Habakkuk says. And he got an answer he didn't want to hear. Yeah, let me read you his answer. Reading out of Habakkuk chapter 1, he said, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. In 10 years, this nation went from nothing to this, this giant power, this great power. God can do that just like that overnight. I mean, I don't know that ISIS is going to be that, but if God wants it to be, to judge this nation or other nations, that's exactly what's going to happen. Scary. In 10 years, he raised them up. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their, their dignity proceed from themselves, their pride. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. That's what's on their minds. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sands, slaves like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and they seize the city. And so here was this Babylonian empire being raised up and and they come, in, in the third year of Jehoiakim, they come down upon Jerusalem. Jehoiakim's about to, to be in trouble. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Lauren left some books about the time of Hezekiah, uh, or before Hezekiah, uh, and, and during the time of Hezekiah, and some of those kings were so wicked. But man, they couldn't, couldn't uh, stand up to the wickedness of Jehoiakim. Man, he, you talk about a wicked guy. The rabbi, rabbinic literature says that he lived in an incestuous relationship with his own mother, with his own daughter, with his own stepmother. I mean, he was a one sick dude. And what's surprising... Uh, well, let me tell you something else. I mean, he just about owned all of Israel. What do you do? He'd go in and kill the landowner and seize their land. He was just taking over all of Israel for himself. And what's surprising is this. He was the son of Josiah. Do you remember Josiah, the, the, the great godly king who led this great revival? Well, apparently the, the revival didn't reach his own house. I guess there's a lesson there. It didn't reach his own house. And, and, and so when Josiah went up to fight the Egyptians uh, up on Mount, near Mount Carmel, he was killed. And Pharaoh Necho made Josiah's youngest sons, 
Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz, uh, king, but he only reigned for three months and he rebelled against Egypt and then uh, Pharaoh Necho came down, defeated Jehoahaz and Israel and took Jehoahaz uh, captive and he died in, in uh, Egypt. Well, after he was taken captive, uh, he, put, he appointed Jehoiakim uh, king. And in his third year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar came down upon Jerusalem and he laid siege to Jerusalem. Uh, they, most scholars believe that's when Daniel was taken captive because before Nebuchadnezzar went back to Babylon, he asked for the best of their youth. Uh, he asked for, he took several slaves at that time uh, and he took some of the vessels out of the, the, the temple and the golden vessels and took them back. And, and keep those in mind because later on when we look at this guy Belshazzar, Belshazzar is going to be drinking out of these vessels, having this orgy and he's going to be drinking out of these vessels that were taken from the temple. But anyway, Jeremiah comes to Jehoiakim after Nebuchadnezzar goes back to Babylon. And Jeremiah, the prophet, comes to him and he, said, and he has a scroll written from the Lord to Jehoiakim. And in that scroll, uh, the Lord tells Jehoiakim that the Babylonian captivity is my doing and that you better just accept it. And if you do, then things will go fairly well for you. Y yeah, you, you're being judged, but this is the best possible scenario for you is to accept uh, my judgment on the nation. A and Jehoiakim takes the scroll, if you remember, and he cuts it into pieces and throws it into the fire and he puts Jeremiah in jail. And so, uh, uh, and basically he said, I'm not going to listen to the Lord. I'm bigger and tougher than the Lord. And so, uh, uh, guess what happens? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, can, you can tear God's word up. Uh, you could remove it from society you can uh, ban the word of God you can throw God's messengers in jail but it doesn't change the word of God the word of God is still the word of God and Joachim should have listened to the Lord but he didn't so after three years he rebels against the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar comes back down to Jerusalem, and that's when he destroys the city, destroys the temple. Jehoiakim is killed, and his body is thrown outside the gate. And there's a remnant left, and Je Jeremiah at this point is still alive. We won't get into that. That's another story, but, but it's interesting. Now, pretty sad situation at that point, isn't it? As we come to the book of Daniel, Israel's in a pretty sad state. I mean, the temple's destroyed. Most of the people are either dead or taken into slavery. And they're forced to worship pagan gods. Isn't that kind of ironic? They didn't want anything to do with Jehovah God. And so they were forced to worship 
pagan gods. You know, when you see a pagan society move in on a, what used to be a godly society, that's what always happens. You, know, you see places being conquered now, and they're forced to worship Allah, who is a moon god. I mean, could that happen in the United States? Well, you better believe that can happen in the United States. I mean, at the very least, you look at what's going on in America right now, and because we've rejected uh, Jehovah and we've served so many other gods, hey, our culture is becoming more and more pagan by the minute. And there's going to come a time when we're forced to worship, I mean, not God-specific gods, but to, to be pagan just like the rest of this country. I mean, we've got a decision coming up in a, in a couple of months that could change, change everything. I'm actually coming up this month, a Supreme Court decision that would force much of our culture to, to agree with pagan practices. It's kind of scary stuff. So here we are in the book of Daniel, and things look pretty dim. Israel at this point but God as he always does has his man he's got an Israelite and he's preparing this Israelite to become the, his leader in Babylon to be an advocate for his people the Jews he always has an advocate for his people too to be his prophet to the Jews and we know that man is Daniel, a man with a vision. So we'll get into to learning about Daniel next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We can look at the book of Daniel and these circumstances that we looked at tonight. And you know what we see, Lord? We see your grace. Israel deserved to be utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. But in your mercy, Lord, you, you placed a man in Babylon who's there to protect them. Lord, we, we know that no matter what goes on in this world, that you're always in control. And that we always can trust in your mercy and your grace. Even if judgment comes upon the United States of America, Lord, we can trust in your mercy and your grace. Lord, we ask that even now, Lord, that, that you change our society, that you send your spirit in a powerful way upon this country and that we see revival. And Lord, that's our only hope. So I just ask for your grace in, in, in our nation, Lord, in our own personal lives. Again, we just thank you for what you're teaching us through your word. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.